even if your specific job doesn't lend itself well to using AI and you think, well, my job is perfectly safe. I'll be fine. The, like, I'm not worried about the economy or whatever. As long as it, it is increasing productivity for other people, which we've established quite you know, strongly that it is, then you will suffer from those economic impacts, right? I do think that there is going to be greater outcry once automation comes for the professional managerial classes. Welcome to Radius of Reason. I'm Levon with my co-host and profound pseudo-intellectual Andre. Hi, everybody. And today on episode 22, we're going to discuss AI and its impact on the job market. And obviously, AI has been all over the news, and people are concerned about their jobs. And we want to examine if this is a legitimate concern or blown out of proportion. So let me just start off by asking you, Andre, are you concerned about your job security? Absolutely. I mean, I, I tend to be concerned about my job security always. But I think with the launch of the tools, ChatGPT, MidJourney last November, I, I remember uh, I was at a bar right after the holidays and I had somebody using chat GPT write up uh, a solution to a problem I was dealing with at work, essentially, right there on the spot in a bar. And I think that um, it was pretty scary. I do think that the AI threat to the job market right now is a little bit, I don't want to say overblown, but overhyped. I think that a lot of these AI tools that dropped last November are still in the early stages of development. So I don't know if they're necessarily going to price me out of a job. Certainly, it's not going to price us out of our kick-ass podcast. <laughs> not yet. But yeah, we'll, we're going to dig into all of that very shortly. But let's kind of look at some of the stats here with regard to what people in general uh, are, are thinking about this. So there, there's a couple of surveys. I think there, there's a Gallup survey that was actually prior to ChatGPT's release, but then there's more recent surveys from Quartz, and they both are kind of in line where they show that 75 to 95, or sorry, 75 to 90% of people think AI is going to have a detrimental impact to jobs, maybe taking half jobs, half the jobs mm -hmm. uh, in the next five years. Um, but then in the same surveys, when they ask people, are you concerned about AI taking your job, you know, the inverse percentage, so 10 to 25% say, no, not my job. <laughs> so a little bit of uh, human self-delusion at its finest right. <laughs> there. But honestly, if, you're, if you've been keeping up with the news on AI, it's hard to miss all the headlines that are coming up. Um, so just to give you kind of a sample of this, Dropbox laid off 16% of its workforce. Already done that. IBM cutting 30% of back office jobs over the next five years. CEO of Turnitin, it's a plagiarism checking uh, company that works with educational institutions. This is what their CEO said. In 18 months, we will need 20% of our employees and start hiring a lot of them out of high school. 
So an interesting twist on people thinking, well, you know, the highest skilled jobs would still be safe. It seems like if AI is eventually going to get to a point where it's doing kind of the high skilled labor, then you have low skilled knowledge work labor until it's able to, um, you know, account for that as well. That, that, that it, 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 it's kind of interesting all the different directions it can go. Does that make sense, Andre? That- yeah, I mean, I, I think that the example it turned in is is definitely alarming, but I don't necessarily agree with the fact that all sort of AI assisted jobs are going to necessarily have a uh, a low skill characterization to it. I think turn it in is a pretty rudimentary thing, right? It's essentially cross-evaluating whatever the AI model spits out from similarities between papers. Someone with a high school diploma could probably do that. I think when you get into more high-tech fields like heavy industry, I don't know if you're going to necessarily be able to have a unskilled laborer overseeing a piece of AI going through like regulatory processes for heavy manufacturing, for instance. Sure, sure, sure. No, no, no. I, I totally agree. I, th- I think it's just an interesting case because it, it's it's counterintuitive and, and counter what most people would assume would be happening. It, you know, it, may, maybe it proves, you know, that it is an exception to the rule. Um, but so uh, I guess just thinking about this at a broader level, we've got 100 million knowledge workers in the U.S., right? Imagine if 25% lost their job because we gained mm-hmm. a 25% efficiency from tools like ChatGPT, which is entirely reasonable. Uh, there's been weeks where I've definitely saved about four hours <laughs> worth of work at my job. Uh, four hours in a 40-hour work week is 10%. So we're not that far off 25% becoming uh, a kind of norm in, in, in many, many industries. So that would put unemployment at great depression levels. Well, uh, I think all else what's being even equal. more, I think what's not really taken into account. Yeah. Okay. It, it's the laying off of workers already in the workforce, but also think about how many students are currently enrolled in four-year programs or two-year programs studying up on skill sets that they were told would lead to lucrative careers, right? People taking out massive student loans to go to MIT to study computer programming. And then effectively, the closer they get to graduation date from their freshman year, the more likely it is that the role they would initially start out on would just be automated out anyways. So there's like a heavy emphasis on the workers that are currently employed but i think we're actually also screwing over generations uh, of individuals from um, their earning potential by incorporating some of these models absolutely now before we dive in any further we're going to ask the audience to please hit the subscribe button smash that subscribe button perhaps even hit the like button and if you're feeling dangerous Hit, not hit, type, well, just type gibberish. Hit, just spank your keyboard, and that's going to be about as intelligent as a comment that you are going to write anyway. um, Please help us out. Do us a favor. Um, We're going to replace Joe Rogan soon, but, uh, you know, you can can get on this uh, boat early. And if you feel like uh, supporting Elon Musk, make sure to tweet at us at radius underscore of. 
Uh, we are the most active Twitter account with five followers on the platform. Uh, so <laughs> make sure to, to, to reach out. We'd love to connect. For sure. Okay. So back to the topic of AI and this kind of situation where I think given recent developments, we are at a point that is worse than many people had feared. Um, people thought ChatGPT and something like it would come later on, but it has reared its somewhat ugly, some in some ways beautiful face. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe maybe one could say uh, prematurely, but I think it's given rise to a lot of um, new variables that I think have have accelerated the situation to a point where I think a lot of people are sleeping on this. Um, mm. So AI has already reached a point of insane utility, right? Like people are using it to, to gain um, productivity in, in, in work. Um, th there are many customer service jobs. Uh, I, I just read a headline this, this morning. Wendy's is planning on having its drive-through staff replaced by AI. Um, and if they do it, well, think about all the other fast food chains, right? So, it, well, hey, let me ask you a question here, though, since we are talking about customer service. Do you, okay, let's say everybody follows this Wendy's model and there are no more drive through workers that are people. Do you actually think that there's a chance that a human worker could become a competitive advantage, maybe for personal connection? Because simultaneously, we have uh, the Surgeon General in the US just this week released a report looking at how there's an epidemic of loneliness in this country. And one of the factors that was considered is the fact that I believe a lot of people receive a, a large percentage of their social interaction on a day-to-day -day basis from individuals in the service industry, from relationships they might build with a barista at a coffee shop. And if all those are gone, wouldn't it almost be a competitive differentiator for an organization to have a, a real life human at some point? And I think maybe right now, it's sort of AI tools are a novelty in kind of the, the latest fashionable whiz bang. But I'm actually suggesting that in a couple of years, once the novelty wears off, it's actually like having a human at the counter is going to be like the edgy thing you can do. I, I, I do concur that at some point it will be a competitive advantage. I'm not sure if drive through staff is you know that big social draw for most people <laughs> sir you've never fallen in love with the chick-fil-a girl <laughs> well not yet but you know anything anything could happen um anything could happen but i i i i think what capitalism has demonstrated thus far is that if if it is still more profitable to 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 replace your worker with ai um you will do it and I think that competitive advantage, it will probably only show up at kind of more higher end establishments, let's say, where people, you know, probably will start to view AI as a sort of cheap um, kind of labor junk food equivalent or something <laughs> like that. So that's, that's what I think might happen. Well, there's um, certain industries where they've already started, even before ChatGPT uh, dawned on this planet, uh, a lot of industries like 
call centers and, and customer service hotlines started employing like really crude forms of, I don't even know if it's really AI. It's just an automated system that you you know you could punch the keys into. But that industry is actually almost shifting to a different direction where individuals get so frustrated and pissed off and having to deal with an automated system when it comes to like banking or setting up their retirement or, you know, addressing sensitive medical questions that it's almost shifting towards the other direction to a certain extent. So I I suspect maybe we're going to have a similar phenomena in other industries where once the human element is gone, it's going to, okay, maybe render some things more efficient, maybe have that junk food impact like you're talking about. But at some point, I suspect there is going to be a recorrection, I hope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think a recorrection will probably happen at some point. We're probably a bit a ways off from that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I I think I think you're thinking along the right lines there. Um now when we think about like AI replacing jobs, we don't have to think of it in terms of AI needs to do everything that you're doing, right? All it needs to do is provide an increase in productivity so that um, you can do more work. So if it increases your productivity by, say, 50%, um, and let's say it does that across the board at your company, well, now they only really need 50% of the staff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we don't have to think about AIs getting to this kind of perfect state where all of its answers are accurate and it's kind of at AGI levels. Um, it just needs to be good enough to increase productivity. And we're already there. Uh, and it's only going to get more and more useful. Um, I mean, the, the jump from chat GPT, which was using GPT 3.5 to GPT 4 is astounding uh, as someone who you know, who's a, who's a software developer. Um, the previous version couldn't really code that well. Um, GPT-4, use it today. And I used it the day before and the day before that. <laughs> so um, so, so I, that's just one point that I want to highlight. I don't know if you have any comments as far well, as that I, goes. I, in terms of your experience with it, is it completely replacing the work that you would be doing or is it providing you a template that you could then correct adjust and then submit so is it more of like an augment to your function right now or is it like entirely replacing what you used to do in the past without chatting yeah yeah no it's it's definitely just augmenting what i'm doing it's it 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 truly can't even come close to doing my job as a whole like from a holistic Mm -hmm. standpoint it's not even close um but if you understand what it is capable of where it has utility you can really leverage that um Mm -hmm. so it's right now it's still a tool right you know at some point when it's agi it's not a tool when it's when it's able to make decisions for itself then that's when it kind of breaks that category barrier and it's its own thing and then that's when we have to worry about super intelligent ai destroying the world (laughs) but um yeah as a tool so so it's very useful and even if your specific job 
um, doesn't lend itself well to using AI. And you think, well, my job is perfectly safe. I'll be fine. The like, I'm not worried about the economy or whatever. As long as it, it is increasing productivity for other people, which we've established quite, you know, strongly that it is, then you will suffer from those economic impacts, right? You will suffer from the lower unemployment, from the loss of the, you know, consumer spending power. If wages go down, right? You may not, people may not lose their job, but maybe wages go down. Um, higher taxes to accommodate that. You're affected by that. Societal destabilization, like all of those things impact people even in the most privileged and AI safe occupations, right? Well, and also think about, um, communities and, and, and cities and counties at local government levels that depend on earnings taxes to, to pay all of their bills from uh, something as simple as paying city workers to, to clean up streets or to run effective transit systems, to maintain pensions for government employees. A lot of communities um, across the United States are dependent on earnings taxes to do that, right? And even let's let's not even say that there is a net loss in jobs but even if there's a decrease in wages paid out like you said that also means that total taxable revenue goes down as well and that mm -hmm. actually has that that seems like something that could happen very quickly in the near term and it doesn't even have to be something like you know all software developers will take a 20% pay cut or something like that it's just that right off the market jobs are going to be starting at lower levels. So new entrants into a field are making 10 or 20% less than their counterparts 10 years ago. But that has really serious implications for, I mean, even at a federal level, right? If we're talking about defaulting on our debt right now, and we still have fairly sizable mm -hmm. tax revenues, although we're not taxing everybody that we should be taxing, that's a separate conversation. But think about if a budget that you anticipated is all of a sudden gutted by 10 or 20%. What are you supposed to do? Because tax increase is fine. Okay. That's, it's a, it's a viable approach, but I don't think it would ever happen because nobody's ever going to support an exponential rise in taxes, even if it is a logical thing to do. So, well, I, I, maybe we disagree on that, but we will touch on UBI later. Cause that's kind will. of what you're alluding to there. Um, I guess just a, a, a final point, you know, I, I, I think the arms race, if it wasn't already occurring on the AI front, it, it has begun. Uh, and there is, from a game theory standpoint, it makes no sense for any individual company or government to stop. Mm -hmm. right. uh, the incentives are just way too strong. Um, so we, we are we are way past that point of trying to slow development, contain development, I would even wager to say, provide any meaningful regulation. Yeah, well, we and we mentioned this in episode 20, that honestly, like, November 2022 is really going to be seen as a watershed moment, where once this technology was released onto the market, anybody who's not integrating it into their day-to-day -day functions is going to be at an inherent loss. I mean, I think a great example of that is like the Bing phenomena, right? Where Bing was probably the first search engine that came out with at least a proposed model for integrating ChatGPT into the search function. 
And that was, I think, the first time in a very long time that anybody ever really considered Bing more forward thinking than Google. That somehow Bing was like outpacing or outclassing it. But in reality, if Google was a little bit late to the game on that. Now they have their own model they're trying to incorporate. But from a mindshare standpoint, I think Bing is now associated as the search engine that's enriched by the um, text-based AIs. No other search engine, I think, could remain competitive without that sort of feature, especially as it starts taking off and becoming more commonly embraced. So you're, you're totally right on that. Yeah, and it's interesting to see what's happening with Google because I think they had incentive to delay the, you know, the, their release of AI technology as much as possible because it just undermines their existing um, revenue model, right? With with with, with their kind of advertising um, through search results. Although, as we've seen with Bing, uh, it seems like you can, if you're clever, integrate. Um, some some ads <laughs> into the AI results as well. So that's going to be interesting to see how advertising evolves to uh, annoy us at every step of the way. Right. Um, I guess maybe you can speak a little bit to the occupations most at risk. So we discussed some of these already, right? From a food service standpoint, from a workers standpoint um, coming out of the tech industry. And I think it would be unfair to characterize the government's response to this as totally absent. And it is something that we alluded to when we last spoke about AI in episode 20. There is and there has been a level of research done by some of the federal governments in the United States um, auditing agencies to really prepare themselves for what any sort of automation will do to job markets. And the Government Accountability Office, the GAO, uh, released a report not too long ago where they weren't really able to conclude exactly what jobs specifically would be priced out. That was done a little bit later um, by the Department of Labor. But the GAO report did identify skills that were at risk of, of being automated out. And they kind of took a pretty intriguing approach to it where they broke it down based off of education levels. And what's fascinating to me is the fact that there are job groups across all education levels that are going to be impacted by the increased embrace, embrace of automation. So high school diploma learners, for instance, um, AI is threatening skill sets surrounding active listening, social perceptiveness, service orientation, speaking, monitoring, critical thinking, coordination, judgment, and decision-making. So again, you can kind of see how some of these skill sets would be applicable to kind of a customer-facing role or a client-facing role, face-to-face um, -face time, uh, processing requests, things like that. With some bachelor's uh, degree undergraduate education, now you're getting into circumstances where AI, AI models are eliminating skill sets related to reading comprehension, writing, time management, active learning, complex problem solving. Again, some implications here around some maybe entry-level programming jobs, some jobs surrounding um, maybe initial marketing tasks, things along those lines. And as you increase in education, there's also more sophisticated skill sets that are at risk of being eliminated by AI adoption as well. Things like system evaluation, systems analysis, uh, persuasion, instruction, management of personnel resources. 
And I, I thought that was pretty alarming because this has a heavy implication that maybe higher level leadership roles, maybe C-suite executive um, positions might also start being impacted by this, right? If you have AI models that can effectively prioritize and, and manage and structure schedules for project management, even all of a sudden you have an entire cadre of project management professionals and those certified in it that really don't have a role anymore. And this really made me think of the role of office secretaries that were integral and crucial to the development of American white collar culture in the mid century mm -hmm. with the introduction of Microsoft office suite. Yeah. Okay. You still have executive assistants, but the pool of secretary openings just got absolutely decimated, right? No, nobody really needs an entire staff of secretaries to uh, draft correspondence, to take notes, to, to collect files. If this is all done by software. And I think this is just the next level developing on that. Now, building off of that, the Bureau of Labor Statistics this year started looking at specific roles that are at risk. Things like truck drivers, software engineers, data analysts, financial advisors, surgeons and doctors. And then it follows on with things that maybe we'd be more expectant of, of laborers and warehouses, factories, things like that. And also the uh, roles in the military in the, the defense sector. But I wanted to call two of those out. I want to start out with surgeons and doctors. This to me was actually really, really surprising because I don't know if I'd ever want an AI to be the one poking around inside my rib cage if something's wrong with my heart. Simultaneously, there's a lot of human error in the medical field. Malpractice insurance is a thing for that. And it's almost a moral ethical dilemma that you start facing down where is it almost unethical not to allow the introduction of AI models that could make a physician's job more refined, for instance, within a diagnostic space. Simultaneously, within the medical sector, you also have to call out the complete failure of IBM Watson, which was originally organized and billed as um, a tool that could almost replace doctors in, in, in a treatment facility. Didn't happen, kind of collapsed in on itself. <laughs> Nobody really remembers what happened to IBM Watson. But I, I think between these two levels of analysis from the government, what was most surprising to me was the fact that roles at risk of automation are the ones that we never really traditionally thought of as at risk. We, they're always safe jobs, right? Oh, you can become a doctor or a lawyer. Oh, you could become a uh, software developer. You could become some white collar manager somewhere. All of these are at risk. It's not just blue collar anymore. Which brings me to the question of military and defense. Because that, I think, has a tremendous level of moral ethical dilemmas that we're facing down. Where if positions that we've accepted in society as those where, that inflict violence in our behalf around the world are then replaced by computer programs. I mean, th that, that's absolute insanity. That... that completely um, n almost neutralizes any level of human perception and emotion out of the process of, of, of killing. And I think that's always been what the military has tried to do, right, with social programming and training is to make better killers out of military mm -hmm. units more efficient. But now we're actually taking a step into that direction. I, I, I think it's terrifying. Terminators. It's... Uh... 
Yeah, it's one of many terrifying implications. But it also, you know, another thing it does is it 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 truly it truly becomes an arms race, right? In the literal sense. Right. Um, and, and I think I think that's the that's that's the worst fear for a lot of AI ethicists and researchers um, on the topic of like AI alignment and and AI containment. It's the, the cat is out of the bag. I mean, we we we've hooked it up to the internet. Like everything that we weren't supposed to do is happening, right? Yeah, and I I think that at every stage in the process of thinking about this, and when we had our conversation back in episode twenty, we're always like, oh man, like you know, if only we sat down and thought about regulating this. And you and you made this point earlier where, I mean, it's too damn late for that, right? It, it's just mm-hmm. any time for considering that the ethics or the parameters by which this technology could be deployed is long gone. And specifically with the military and defense, you, you shared this bit um, around Palantir AIP. I, I mean, Palantir is, is one of the um, probably more... I'm trying to find. I, I think Palantir is sketchy as hell because they use a lot of it for for systems mapping, which leads into to surveillance and, and tracking people's behaviors on the internet and and in your public life. But Palantir has already integrated AI into their their software mm-hmm. they sell to the government, and they've already integrated AI into their tool set that helps mission planning in the field, and it helps you identify targets for elimination. And I mean, all of that's already being incorporated into their marketing material and and they're making all these pitches already um to the united states department of defense so i mean it's too late everybody else is going to get on board with this now because they're already offering it yeah 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 no it's again it's it's just basic game theory um you know the the incentive for each individual even if it's going to cause a collective collapse right is to continue to pursue the goals that will cause the collective collapse so let's move on to the counter arguments here because maybe we're just doomers right maybe we're just dooming that's all we do that's all we've done in the past uh, 21 episodes so let's let's try to kind of um uh argue against some of these points um i I think a big one is ai capability my my hunch is it will plateau at some point. How long you know it will remain in that plateau is, is another question. But we had discussed this in episode twenty as well. But a lot of the brightest AI minds still believe there there's another breakthrough that's required to truly achieve AGI. Um, and, and and it's not clear whether these language learning models are going to be capable capable of that. Whether they can pass the Turing test and provide the illusion of AGI, I think they're already there to some extent. I mean, if you've mm-hmm. played around with GPT-4, again, th- how well it comprehends my questions and answers them already, uh, on some level, you can think of it as a, a low-level AGI. Um, and, and it's not clear if I'm even being fair in making that distinction of do we... You know, if it can simulate AGI behavior, is it not an AGI, right? Like, at what point are you um, kind of starting to grasp at straws? Uh, if it's able to do everything an AGI can, then, then then maybe it is an AGI, even if behind the scenes we think there's nothing there. Where 
it doesn't understand. It's just, it's hard to believe that given just some of the quality of responses that, that we right. get out of these things. So um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, What's your hunch on this? I, th I think that um, I, I went to Michio Kaku lecture um, last week and the question humble of brag. AI. Humble brag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, humble flex. The lecture was actually about quantum computing, which inevitably bled into a conversation around artificial intelligence. And, and to your original point about maybe the technology and the capabilities we have behind the scenes powering AI isn't quite at a level yet that could sustain true AGI, that, that's essentially in line with me, what Michio Kaku was talking about, where he was saying that quantum computing is really going to take a lot of these models really to the next step because it's going to have a much higher computing power driving a lot of these algorithms forward. And until we actually get to that point, what he argues is even though these models are very, very convincing, they are still mimicking uh, the functions of AGI versus actually truly displaying them. And that's because they have a vast amount of information they can tap into and pull from to address queries. And he was specifically using the example of, it, it's a pretty common trope now where, where teachers are complaining about their students using chat GBT to write essays for, for class. But what he points out is that in these narratives that are told, oftentimes there's never really a discussion over the quality of papers that are submitted. And if you start digging into that, you'll be woefully disappointed because at the end of the day, I think we may have lost you there for a second, Andre. I I don't know if you can hear me, but I, I think you cut out for a little bit. Maybe it was just my connection. Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry, go ahead. We can we can clip this out. It's fine. Sick. Um, go ahead. So, he, so what he talks about is that um, if you start reading these essays that these models put out, they're actually not that great because the AI models still can't really tell right for wrong or the nuances of, hey, write me an essay about Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream with an emphasis on like gender roles and these sorts of uh, productions, right? <laughs> and it, it's going to produce yeah. a text that fits some of this, but it doesn't have enough awareness over the surrounding elements of the topic or maybe the nuances of the topic to actually produce like an in-depth analysis of something. But what we're really focusing on is the fact that it can produce something which students then submit and, and the narrative that cycle off that's like, oh my gosh, uh, chat GPT is replacing critical thought in the classrooms, which it is, but it doesn't mean it's replacing it in like a well-functioning matter. Right? Right. And I think what you point to is this also this issue of the quality of the data as well and how that impacts its responses and, and how eventually having inc an increase in AI generated content online might, you know, have this impact of actually lowering the quality uh, and diluting the, 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 the pool of data that you train these models on. Um, mm -hmm. It's also an interesting question when you talk about, you know, AI replacing, let's, let's say, a doctor or surgeon. It's like, well, how are you getting the data for that? How are you training 
you know, how are you training those models? And surely someone will find a way to do it uh, well, and, at and some point. And but there, there's I, I always... Think the, I there's, think there are still... Yeah. I was going to say, I think there's always a, um, a pushback on HIPAA laws and like medical privacy laws. And healthcare organizations are always trying to find ways that they can make them a little bit more lax to enable more data exchanges. And the conclusion I think we start getting to here is that far scarier than AI and the actual capability of the AI tools are the steps we're willing to take to power them, right? Where it's a complete removal of privacy restrictions or a complete removal on caps on what kind of data can be collected to train these algorithms. Because to your point, they're always going to be hungrier for um, for the next level and next quality of data. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I genuinely have nothing else to add on that. I think, I think we're, we're on the same page there. One, one counter to a point I had made previously regarding, you know, if we increase productivity by 50%, we can just lay off the staff. Obviously, that's a very crude and overly simplistic analysis. Um, you know, it assumes that, you know, th there's kind of an equal level of like supply and demand. But what if there's so much more untapped demand, right? So simply increasing productivity doesn't mean, uh, you know, that you just lay off your workers, you just have more work that you can do. And that might actually benefit the economy. And that's actually what some economists wager, at least in the short term. In the long mm -hmm. term, I think everyone acknowledges that we're fucked. But uh, um, I, I guess that that is an interesting question of, you know, how much work is there out there? Like, that's, initially, it might be that AI, yes, increases productivity, but actually... Um, actually produces more jobs in the short term. Do you think that's a realistic possibility? Uh, I, I don't. I don't really think so. I, I think the statistics that we looked at <laughs> at the start of the episode are far darker th than what this like slight blip of optimism might suggest. <laughs> I think that I, I'd be curious to see what kind of jobs the ai wave would produce now the gao report referenced early did suggest that yeah there are going to be new jobs created by the deployment of ai tools again a lot of these roles are going to be focused on the monitoring and observation and like, oversight over some of these models to make sure they're not going completely off the rails to make sure that the code they're producing is legitimate it's going to function on you know a website well it looks decent but Far more alarming are the jobs lost in the service industry because I don't think there's going to be anything new created out of that. And if you mm. look at job growth rates, right right now, the big arguments that, that, that's being made against the fact that we're in a recession is that the U.S. employment rates continue to grow. A lot of those jobs tend to be in service-oriented, customer service-facing roles. And when we lose that mm. bump in job growth, what's going to be the driving factor for um, for hiring in the United States? And what sorts of jobs could AI models offer to the customer service sector 
that they haven't already automated. What if it's just a lack of creativity on your part, Andre? What if it's just you, just in your head? Because so so the world the World Economic Forum had a report, and I believe this is over the next ten to fifteen years, but they said that AI would displace eighty five million jobs uh, and create ninety seven million. So a bit optimistic from the people that may benefit from AI the most. What do you think about that? <laughs> I mean, uh, they drop these numbers, but like, what? We're, we're, we're going to be fucking astronauts? Like, like, what? What, what is the? What, what is the demand here? Ninety-seven million astronauts. Yeah, we're, we're ninety-seven million um, OnlyFans models. Except those are also going away. Uh, they already have like earners on OnlyFans are augmenting their pictures with with AI and things like that. Um, I, I guess like we'll become, I mean, could you think of it like right off the top of your head right now, like name a job that is going to be newly created in this brave new world. I am going to refuse saying prompt engineer as many people are suggesting because it's sound to, to, to me, it sounds like just the dumbest thing ever because the AI is going to be able to like the, the whole point of making AI like this, like this in the form of a, like a chat GPT is to provide the easiest user interface possible. Like why would you need someone else to tell the AI what you want to do? Right. So I, I, I don't think prompt engineer is going to be a huge, uh, occupation <laughs> moving forward. Um, uh, I think, you know, to, to me, the most obvious is when you eventually get into advanced robotics that have integration with AI, I think you're going to need more mechanical and electrical engineers initially. So I think maybe there, there will be a bump in, in things like that. Um, but apart from apart from kind of the physical realm, I think when it comes to knowledge work, I mean, that's the thing, like, when we talk about AI, we, we literally mean an artificial intelligence. So anything that you can do in theory, the AI will be able to do as well. And we've seen that even creative tasks uh, are not um, blocked off from this. In fact, they're, they're arguably the first to go. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely struggling to imagine many possibilities. Have, have you had a chance to, to come up with anything? <laughs> Uh, maybe blue collar professions like uh, plumbers. You're going to need somebody to unclog toilets from all the tears that people are going to be crying into them. Um, the carpenters, I don't know. Uh, I, I think construction workers for, to build all like the massive data centers we're going to ultimately have. Um, tra trash pickup guys. It's. Are we going to have more trash? I mean, I, I think I, I, I think there, there's going to be a more of a shift to like housing construction and everything. But there's I don't know if that necessarily increases the number of construction workers, you know, because we, we're going to probably see less office buildings being built, um, maybe less 
luxury high rises in, in big cities because, you know, people rather have the space now that they can work remotely or they can live in their remote or they can work remotely out of their homeless shelters because their jobs will be gone. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think we're probably going to see a lot of warehouse construction. Um, I, I think that the trends we see in uh, on-demand delivery of things is only going to rise as it's made more convenient by AI. And as AI is integrated into marketing and you'll have mm -hmm. suggestions for purchases pop up that are far more um, geared towards your immediate interests because the algorithms are going to be that much more advanced. So I think we're going to have, I mean, delivery jobs are fucked. That, that was like top of the list for the GAO. They're like, yeah, all these jobs that were created during the pandemic for Amazon uh, to staff warehouses and to drive delivery, that's all going to be gone. It, it, it's within the decade. So no hope there. I honestly think like trench digger is probably the best bet. And then eventually they're going to fill that one out too. Um, <laughs> so we're going to have a lot okay, of unemployed so, people. So Things not looking good is what I'm hearing. So what about, in the section um, where we were supposed what, to talk what? about, um, it, in the section we were supposed to talk about optimistic things, uh, we ended up going doom again. <laughs> it just it just happens. Okay, so back to the optimistic, uh, fringe yes. optimistic scenarios. Is, is there a possibility that we can have government regulation that prevents you know, AI from replacing, you know, at least all the knowledge workers in the short term. What do you think? <laughs> First, they came for the knowledge workers and I said nothing. Um, I do think that there is going to be greater outcry once automation comes for the professional managerial classes. I think once it starts impacting the jobs that sustain people's lives in places like New York City, that there's going to be a greater outcry publicly to put some regulation in place. I don't think anybody gave a shit when the front lines of automation involved fast food workers and uh, various kinds of industrial jobs. Because in this country, at least, we do have a resentment for certain types of professions. and we might put on a great liberal face, but realistically speaking, that there is a level of disgust for certain classes. And I think a level of resentment. Once we do start experiencing full scale automation for more white collar professions, I think there is going to be an outcry and a push for, oh my gosh, we need to rein this in. But to be blunt, I think we're so cucked by the tech industry and politics that there's no way in hell anybody's going to try to put a cap on this. What about you? So here's, here's the only like saving grace that I could see. So we know that, uh, we know that from evolutionary psychology that human beings are very tribal, right? Um, so it goes, we know that we know that this is a huge driver of behaviors. Um, and I think, as AI and robots start to take prominence in society, they're almost going to be viewed as kind of an outgroup in a sense, right? 
even before they reach sentience. Obviously, when they reach sentience, um, well, at that point, we're probably already screwed and it doesn't really matter. But um, I, th I think even before AI reaches any sort of sentience, we will have kind of massive uprisings and demonstrations against AI technology, AI's impact uh, on the economy. So I, I think that is what may fuel regulation. I think that's kind of the only hope because at the moment, you know, I mean, the politicians are, you know, in the pockets of the corporations and it's going to take a lot to change that. And I think a lot means, um, you know, we've got a, we've got an in group and out group distinction that's very clear and that a lot of people are behind. Do you ever think that the role of a politician will be automated? <laughs> I you mean, know, we'll talk. I, I want to say like, I, I want a human being, you know, in charge, but given the performance of politicians, it's, it's hard to say that chat GPT wouldn't do a better job on at least certain, certain things. Well, look, we're being set up for a 2024 presidential campaign where it's again, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. And when you look at that kind of prospect, is it that terrible to suggest that maybe we should also run an <laughs> AI model in, uh, in, in our next presidential race. Yeah, it would be interesting to compare performance, you know. And anytime an issue comes up, hey, like, what do you think, AI? I mean, <laughs> honestly, G chat GPT right now would do, it would give better responses in a debate or kind of, you know, lecture setting than, than Trump or Biden. Hands down. But chat GPT is also programmed better than in, in uh, Silicon Valley, right? So it'd be a lib. It gives you some like zany. Well, I, uh, talking I, I'm not sure if they really fix it. I don't really ask it political questions, you know, so I'm, I'm not sure where they are with, with the bias, but my guess is it, it would still be better than anything uh, Biden or Trump would, would come up with. Now, one final point on, on kind of trying to refute this doomsday take on AI we know that, you know, population collapse is looming. Um, is this potentially a solution to population collapse? Because, you know, a lot of reports are saying, well, we're going to be short of workers. So maybe it's not such a bad thing that AI will replace many jobs. What do you think? Well, I mean, we're not really solving population collapse, right? Because population collapse is still happening. All we're solving uh, are the uh, economic uh, fallout factors? Yes, population collapse. Yes. Uh, but isn't that? I think that is that not the main. Sorry, is that not the main issue with population collapse? Because why do I mean why do we need so many people? Right? If it, I don't know. <laughs> I, I I think it, it's also um, 
I'm really trying to choose my words carefully because I don't want to start slipping into like racial theory, which is absolutely bonkers. But th- there is a point to be made about countries, you know, in Japan, for instance, that have a very, very um, elderly population, very low birth rates, where in theory you could have the ultimate like disappearance of the Japanese culture at some point. And should we have. I mean, is that even a concern, right? I mean, do we give a shit about the Scythians being gone? Like, is that something that we lament or we feel is really sad that we have entire civilizations that no longer exist? Uh, and I think there is obviously the the prag- uh, pragmatic um, economic concern with population collapse, but there is also like a sociocultural element to it where a lot of our global nationalities that have very rich cultures and very rich traditions will all of a sudden just no longer be. And I don't think AI is going to save that to any, to any end. Um, I mean, what's going to happen to the country of Bhutan um, when their rates dip and it's already a really small country. I mean, they can't incorporate AI models to, to protect themselves or somehow generate more people for their, for their nationality. Yeah, no, I take your point. I think, and I think what you're probably referring to is, you know, those populations get small enough to the point that, you know, they, you know, they have to kind of start mixing with, with other populations and basically they kind of dilute out, you know, no, but I mean, I mean, that's what would have to happen, right? Like if, if Koreans are down to like a few thousand individuals, you know, they're, at that point, they've probably already started, you know, mixing with, with other ethnicities. And, and all of a sudden, you know, what's known as like a Korean, th- that that's kind of gone, right? Like now nah, Koreans in a technical sense now don't exist. So I, I, I do take your point, but um, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's just, it's just one idea. I mean, I, I agree. I think population collapse isn't ultimately solved by AI, although it may be it, it kind of, um, it makes the landing a little bit easier to some extent. Um, what do you mean? Maybe by that's landing? not the right analogy, but I think I not landing. It, 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 it makes some of the worst impacts of population collapse a bit easier to absorb, at least in the short term. Uh, maybe, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's not as as bad of a curve, I guess. Um, Anyhow, uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, uh, we're almost an hour in. Congratulations. But uh, before we give you a pat on the back, you should subscribe (laughs) and hit the like button. Um, Comment, follow us on whatever audio podcast platform you're listening on. Let Levon know how nice his T-shirt is. High quality cotton. Yeah, this is a twenty-five dollar T-shirt. Uh, this is going to be our future sponsor, so I can get these for free. So please hit that subscribe button. But please. <laughs> okay. Okay, we, we we kind of addressed this uh, this idea of having new jobs arise out of AI. Do you have anything else you want to add to that? No, no. I I think that. 
we're kind of coming up to a natural point in our conversation over like what the hell do we do um because even in the part of our discussion where we were supposed to be optimistic we still became very pessimistic and i think we both agree that the outlook for our civilization collectively as humanity is not great what can be done i mean what is a solution that we can put in place that's not regulation because we kind of messed up the boat on that that's not um a level of control over how this technology is being deployed i mean is it even feasible to think that governments could possibly adapt universal basic income models for instance to stave off the ultimate economic hellscape we're heading towards i i think the only world in which governments install a kind of ubi is if they're forced to and i think or well yeah i mean basically they're they're forced to or corporations or those in charge with the most power with the most to lose see that the destabilizing force of having half the population out of work is is enough incentive to say okay uh we're gonna kind of trying to save our asses here and give the peasants a little bit to chew on <laughs> you know and I, I think i think that's i think that's the scenario under which you get ubi um at least ubi in a in a meaningful sense i mean we saw with covid you know they they did try to provide you know s some some relief but to do so on a consistent basis that maintains somebody's you know integrity and quality of life um i th i think yeah I, I just don't know if that's in terms of what's economically possible you know with taxation um I, I just don't know what's what's even possible to be honest. Like, how how much would you have to raise the tax rate? You know. Yeah. Uh, well, and I mean, I think that with the COVID example, we did demonstrate that we are, we are able to do this. And keep in mind that a lot of the um, early stages of pandemic relief came under the Trump administration after he already put a lot of his like insane tax cuts into play. Right. And I think with the U.S. government, at least there it are still substantial taxable reserves that we're not hitting and increasing taxes on the wealthy, I think, would just be a natural factor of that. But in the 1990s, which I think next to the, the, the covid pandemic is like the best example we have of any experiments with UBI that we have in this country. After the Cold War ended, there was the sense of like, well, uh, we don't really need to be uh, dumping all of this money into the defense budget anymore because our number one peer competitor on the international stage collapsed. And we don't really need to be investing all of this money into building out weapon systems. So let's cut the defense budget and let's pay out every American a monthly, it was called a freedom dividend in, in this model that was proposed. Mm -hmm. And it actually took a, a lot of traction on before ultimately speaking, uh, terrorism became a, a threat and we had to rearm ourselves to the teeth to, to find a couple of guys hanging out in the mountains somewhere. 
But <laughs> that was a pretty interesting Ain't nothing wrong example. with that. Example. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Um, but, you know, that wasn't the consequence of a massive protest movement. That wasn't the consequence of a lot of pressure being put on the government by unions, which, you know, all of that's necessary, I think, especially in the context of UBI. But this was very much an organic thing that, to a certain extent, individuals from both sides of the political spectrum in the U.S. tended to support. It quickly got snubbed out when they found another reason to, to dump money into defense. But at least the thinking is possible. And in, well, it was possible. Do you think, I mean, in the current political climate, again, barring just, just an overnight you know, decimation of, of um, you know, employment status, um, do you think it's really realistic at all? I think it's realistic in that eventually it's going to be declared like a public emergency. I think even right now we're on the precipice of some serious social upheavals. Um, and this is without like the full-fledged breakdown of employment because of AI. Just last week, I don't know if you caught this news story, um, there was a mentally ill homeless man in New York City on the subway train that was having an episode and one of the passengers uh, put him in like a, a jujitsu chokehold and the guy died. Mm -hmm. And it was a watershed moment in that it was a consequence of like, it, it, was a, it was a tragedy, like that guy should never be dead. It was also a consequence of so many things that led to the point of that man being on the train, having a mental health crisis, and getting choked out by somebody, one of the passengers, right? And it's repeated time and time again across the country where we have growing rates of homelessness. We've uh, dumped all of our mentally ill on the streets. And we're not even facing like mass unemployment yet because of automation. So I think... We're going to hit a crisis well before that point, I imagine. And then when we have that additional layer, maybe that's just going to be the extra like kindling that's needed to really push um, policy in that direction. Yeah, no, I, I, I can see that happening. And so some people argue against UBI saying it's going to make you lazy. It's really unfulfilling. Um, and I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. But I, I know the... A lot of the recent studies on UBI, um, there's been work done in Finland or some Scandinavian countries recently. Iran had a UBI study that was quite massive, uh, millions of people, I think, wow. um, a couple of decades ago. There's, there's studies that do show that mental well-being improves um, that there are legit benefits and that people don't necessarily stop working when jobs are available. Obviously, this scenario with AI is a little bit different because there, there will be far fewer jobs available. But um, I, I guess I'm just curious what you think that does to, to this issue of meaning, right? Like people find a lot of meaning from their jobs, even jobs that they may not necessarily love, it, it's something that they're still doing where they're contributing to society. 
And so the question is, what are they going to do without a job, even if they've got their basic needs taken care of through UBI? Well, I mean, there, there is like the utopian image of like, we're all going to focus on the arts and philosophy and kind of live uh, Roman <laughs> lifestyles. Um, but I, I think that is a question of individuality. What, right? what about... What what about prompt engineer? All of us are going to be prompt engineers. Yeah, we're all going to be mid-journey artists. We're just going to be creating uh, really high-quality internet porn for ourselves. Um, I I think that that that's the question on individuality. Um, I think attaching too much meaning to your employment probably isn't too healthy, and we're going to have a lot of people that are going to have to most likely reevaluate their lives, and find solace elsewhere but we already have escapism in our world right we're just gonna have a lot more like people playing video games and stuff and i mean we're not even like scratching the surface of what ai AI is gonna do to like content generation so all of our like internet addictions and gaming addictions are gonna spiral out to like whole new planes of existence if you have like interfaces that can create the most fascinating storylines for tv shows or for or for um plot lines for games and stuff like that so i i think in tandem yeah we'll have ubi we'll be automated at jobs and we're just going to have endless sources of entertainment created to consume which maybe isn't a great thing but that's that's the future i'm seeing what about you that's definitely a very real possibility um i what I think would be ideal is AI does all the all the tedious tasks, all the hard physical labor, and human beings are able to come together again as a community instead of as individuals, which this capitalistic, this global capitalistic society is creating, right? Like, I mean, this is just what's happening. You know, you mentioned like the loneliness crisis and, and everything, and it, we need to go back to instead of maximizing the individual, which doesn't actually ultimately maximize the individual. Uh, we need to go back to focusing on communities, on um, doing things that humans did in their evolutionary history, which is working together, being together, um, enjoying one another as opposed to looking at screens. And I think that's going to be very difficult given the level of addiction that uh, technology has been creating in it. And obviously it would only get exponentially worse with AI technologies. Maybe at some point, my hope is that we will see that this is ultimately unfulfilling. Um, we can't escape our nature as much as we maybe think we can. Um, people do a lot of drugs, whatever, to escape um, kind of, you know, the, their low moments or just their lives, which mm -hmm. might be entirely low moments uh, because of just the way that we've constructed society. But I, I think if, if we, maybe it's through education, maybe AI will be intelligent enough to actually educate us 
on what's good for us, which is to be more human. That would be ironic, but that would be fascinating <laughs> and <laughs> amazing. Uh, you know, to show us that, you know, you know, heroin or, you know, AI generated pornography or some sort of, you know, ecstasy level creative output from AI isn't, isn't ultimately what's going to make us happy. Um, that's, that's what I hope, but I'm a realistic person, <laughs> Andre. I'm a very realistic person, and I think I think there will be pockets of people that are able to benefit from AI, but I think in large part, people are, you know, in, in, in another sense, they can't escape their nature in that they will fall prey to, you know, these addictive pleasures offered by AI. Uh, and so I, I do see... I see a mixed future, but mostly one in which people, as they are today, failing to control their biological instincts in ways that really matter. Well, uh, I think we're living it right now. I think that this is something that we're going to experience as it develops and as it shifts, which is a very unique moment in human history. And I think we're going to be in for a very, very interesting ride. And who knows what we're going to be like at the end of it. But it's honestly, at times does feel like we're living in the tide of history. And these are things that we're going to look back upon as a civilization, as watershed moments and watershed decisions that are made over, over where the essence of our kind of collective human identity is going to go. Yeah, what what a time to be alive, right? What a time. <laughs> what a time to be a doomer. And and what a and, and and what a great time to just, you know, if you if you haven't hit the subscribe button, just now is it. the time. Yeah. Hit that like button, comment, and we will be back again probably in a few weeks. Uh bear with us. But uh, we are still alive. We are still planning to create a lot of. We had to. We had uh, to change around wonderful our, content. Uh, recording circumstances because we're being pursued by the U.S. government. So um, hit that like button. Well, you are. Oh, but, yeah, always yeah. on the run. <laughs> did, did we mention you're Russian? Or, uh, yeah, at some point. Do they know that? They, uh, yeah. Are, okay, are, Andre. Our, our one listener in the in the Kremlin probably does. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. We will see you guys soon. Stay healthy.